Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, 9th, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the PrepWell podcast. Today, we're discussing when or if to go all in on youth sports. If you have a child in 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th grade who is considering using sports as a way to help them get into college, scholarship or no scholarship, then this will be the episode for you. I will go through a series of important questions you should ask yourself before deciding to go all in on sports, which these days generally means going all in on one sport or specializing in a particular sport. Now, I understand that some of the things we'll cover today, finances, competition, metrics, admissions issues, types of colleges, the right fit, may not be a part of your child's calculus when they're deciding whether they want to go all in on volleyball or baseball or fencing or whatever their sport is. They may have other motivations. And that's where your ninja parenting skills have to come into play if it seems like they might be barking up the wrong tree. Now, to kick this off, let me paint a picture of what normally happens in many families. Your child grows up trying several different sports. They usually start out with the usual soccer, maybe t-ball, basketball, swimming. Some might try slightly less conventional sports like lacrosse or softball or track. Others might get drawn to even more exotic sports like golf or squash or rowing or ice hockey. And you've tried to be a good parent by exposing them to all kinds of different sports and hoping that something might stick. Do they really love one particular sport or really dislike another? Do they gravitate towards something that you would have never guessed? Or maybe they're doing exactly what you would have expected. And this experimental phase, this exposure phase, usually goes from, say, five or six years old to about 12 or 13 years old. And as a parent, although this pathway can be expensive and logistically challenging, running and shuttling from this field to that field and this pool to that court, it's usually pretty fun and laid back. And if your child is any good, it can be even more fun. And while all this fun is happening, with the cut-up oranges and the fruit snacks and the Capri Suns after the game, it usually doesn't occur to you that your innocent eight, nine, or ten-year-old child is slowly making their way toward the gates of hell, also known as youth sports. As they enter sixth or seventh grade, depending on the sport, things really start to heat up with club teams and travel teams and all-star teams and elite this and premier that. And if I was a better sound engineer, I'd have the cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching sound going off in the background, representing all the money that's going out the door. And if you're not careful, and you just let that train keep going, your child's next few years 
may very well be swallowed whole by a sport that might not get them where they want to go or where they think they want to go. In fact, many times, they're not thinking at all about where their sport might take them. And neither are you. They're simply doing what they've been doing, but at an incrementally more competitive, expensive, and consequential pace. And believe me, if you are not super self-aware and disciplined, or if this is your first child, Lord help us, you could very easily find yourself on a runaway train that cannot be stopped. And that's what I want to try to help you to avoid. I don't want you to necessarily jump off the train, but I do want you to be aware of the ride you're about to take. And I don't mean to sound cynical or down about youth sports. My two older sons were four-sport varsity athletes in high school. Now they're athletes in college. My younger two sons are all in on sports. So this isn't an indictment on youth sports. In fact, the way things are going with college admissions these days, and in the world in general, I'm actually more bullish than ever on using sports to help your child find their way to a good fit college. But you have to be smart about how to manage the process. You have to anticipate and guide your child, especially in those early days, before that train gets away from you, because by then it's going to be too late. And the only way you can pull this off is if you can anticipate problems ahead of time and head them off at the pass. And I hope that today's episode will teach you what to look out for. I hope it will bring red flags to your attention. And I hope it will help you to steer your child in a direction that will work out the best for them and for you and for your family. And I know that's not always easy. And there are always going to be risks. And you won't always get it right. But in my opinion, having a plan and doing your best to stick to that plan and manage the plan is better than just winging it and letting things happen and hoping for the best. Because these days, the stakes are too high. All right, so what are some of the things you should be aware of? Well, I'm going to use case studies of families that I've worked with, of course, including my own family, to flesh out some of the more relevant and sometimes thorny questions. And the big question is, what should you consider before your child commits to going all in on any particular sport? First off, you should determine who is the one that wants to go all in on the sport. Who's pushing to specialize, if you will? Is it you, as the parent, who wants them to go all in and specialize? Or is it your child, as the athlete, who wants to go all in and specialize? This is a crucial moment in time. So I want you to pause and think about this. And as much as we want our children to feel like they have agency in their lives, 7th and 8th grade is still pretty young to let them call all the shots. So I want you to think about this one for a minute and not just get steamrolled into it because you didn't have time to step back and reflect on what this may mean. And that's the point of today's episode, to give you pause and ask you to stop and think about the downstream consequences of this decision. And there are several permutations you may be facing. Scenario number one, your child wants to go all in, but you don't want them to go all in for whatever reason. Scenario two, 
you want your child to go all in, but your child is not really sure if they want to go all in. Scenario three, both of you agree that going all in on one sport is not the right decision. This is what happened with my two older sons and me. They decided they wanted to be old school, multi-sport athletes, and they eventually ended up playing four varsity sports in high school. But they never went all in on any of them. And I agreed with that decision. And the last scenario, scenario four, is both of you agree that going all in is the best decision. This is what happened with my two younger sons, who've committed to playing water polo exclusively, which I agree is the best course of action for them at this time. And with these permutations in mind, I'd like you to think about your situation. And if your child is already in ninth or 10th or 11th grade, maybe you should try to think back when they were 7th or 8th graders and think about whether or not you consider this type of framework. Of course, it's best when everyone's on the same page, but that's not always so easy. For the purposes of our discussion, let's assume that scenarios 1 and 4 apply. That is, your child wants to go all in on their sport and you disagree, or your child wants to go all in on their sport and you agree. In either case, the child's running the show here and they're pleading with you to join this club or that travel team, and they're making a compelling case. This is when you have to make a decision. This is when you have to put your big boy parenting pants on. Do you support their decision to go all in or not? Because if you do, you better buckle up because it's about to get intense. If you don't agree, let's hope you have a good reason. Because in many cases, they're probably going to put up a fight. And if this is the case, I want you to be armed with as much ammunition as possible to discuss the issue with them openly and honestly. So what are some things to consider before making this consequential decision? Well, first off, I know that 7th and 8th graders aren't the best at articulating their long-term goals and their long-term vision, if they have any at all. But it's important that you try to assess their motivation. Why do they want to go all in? Because the sport has become their identity and they can't imagine or don't want to imagine what life would be like without playing their sport? Maybe it's just inertia. They don't want to mix things up. They know the players, they know the coaches, they know the culture. They want to keep the status quo. Maybe it's because all their friends are doing it and they don't want to be left out. You know, the sense of belonging is a big deal for middle schoolers. Maybe they love playing the sport more than anything else in the world. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe they're good at it and they're getting a lot of positive attention and feedback. Maybe they're great at it and they can see themselves becoming an elite player. And of course, some of these reasons may hold more weight than others. And that will be your job as a parent to sift through what's driving the decision. And there are other more pragmatic reasons that they may have in the back of their minds, depending on how mature and forward thinking they are. They may think playing their sport at a high level will help them get into a good college, regardless of whether it's Division I, Division II, Division Three, regardless of whether there's a scholarship potential or not. That would actually be a pretty astute observation and not a bad rationale, as long as their expectations are kept in check. Maybe their dream is to get 
that elusive full-ride athletic scholarship that they've heard so much about? Well, we all know how difficult that will be and how few sports even offer full scholarships. Maybe they've been listening to this podcast and they think that being a recruited athlete will be their best shot at getting into a college that they otherwise wouldn't get into, even if it's a Division III school or an Ivy League school, neither of which even offer athletic scholarships. That would be very insightful as well, and not a bad motivation, again, as long as their expectations are being managed. What else? You should think about the sport they play, and whether the colleges that they're envisioning actually field teams for that sport. If they become a recruitable athlete in their sport, will it align with the type of college that they're attracted to? For example, if they want to play baseball in college, most baseball-friendly colleges are not the traditional, popular, medium-sized liberal arts colleges in the Northeast. Many of the best baseball schools are big, public state schools in states like Tennessee and Texas and Florida and California. Are those the states and the types of colleges that they're dreaming about? What about rowing? If your child is into crew, rowing, the number and the types of schools that offer rowing and recruit for rowing is relatively small, probably about 40 colleges. That narrows down the list of target schools pretty dramatically. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's something to consider. What are the chances that they'll be good enough to become a recruited athlete? This is the $64,000 question. It's hard to know whether your middle schooler will have what it takes to get to the next level, whether it's Division II, Division III, Division I. And even if all the signs are positive, the odds are still not great, especially if they're targeting Division I. And what are some of those signs? What are some signs that should help you decide if they're barking up the right tree. Well, metrics, of course, I've addressed this in many past episodes. Metrics are objective measures that often determine how far your child will get in their sport, what their potential is. Yes, there are exceptions. Many of you probably have heard of Muggsy Bogues. He's that 5'3 basketball player who made it all the way to the NBA. That is not the norm. He did not have good metrics for the NBA, but he made it there anyway. Some examples of metrics are height, weight, handedness, speed, strength. For example, if you're tall and stocky, no matter how much you like being a coxswain on your high school crew team, you probably don't have a bright future as a coxswain at the collegiate level. Because at that level, they look for athletes who are small and lightweight. On the other hand, if at age 13, you're six foot four and left-handed and coordinated, then being a baseball pitcher might be the perfect fit. If you're an eighth grader who's six foot three, 230 pounds, and you can change direction quickly, then football is probably a good bet for you. If you're a female who's six feet, with elite jumping ability and good timing, volleyball is probably calling your name. My point is, metrics matter. Not quite as much at the Division III level, although increasingly so these days, but definitely at the Division I level, especially in the more popular and the more competitive sports. So I encourage you to size up your child 
in seventh and eighth grade, figure out what metrics matter for their sport and their position, consider their genetics, and try to anticipate how their body will develop over the next three or four years. It doesn't mean that if their metrics aren't perfectly aligned with their sport that you shut everything down, but it's something to think about. Are their metrics an advantage, a disadvantage, or neutral? If they're specifically a disadvantage that will be hard to overcome, then you'll want to think long and hard about how all-in you want to go, depending on your expectations and what your goals are. If you have great metrics, then maybe you're inclined to take that leap of faith because you have quote-unquote nature on your side. Other signs might be mindset, attitude, maturity, their IQ, their coachability, their competitive spirit. Normally, for an aspiring Division I athlete, these signs are all pointing in the right direction as early as middle school. Their behavior should give you signs as well. Do they have a club team attitude, but a rec league work ethic? Are they chomping at the bit to get to practice early, study films, stay late? Or are they complaining when it's time to wake up for an early Saturday morning practice? Do they behave like an aspiring Division I athlete? How about what their coach says? Does their coach think they have long-term prospects? Now, this one can get a little bit dicey because it may be difficult for a coach to give their honest opinion if you're paying them ten dollars or $15,000 a year to play on their club team. Are they really going to tell you that Johnny or Samantha has no shot? Probably not. So try to find an objective evaluator of talent. What else should you consider? How competitive are the club and travel teams in your area? If you play lacrosse and you live in Maryland, awesome. If you play football and you're from Texas or Florida, great. If you're a rower from Seattle or San Francisco, you're in there. How about ice hockey players from Connecticut? You're in good company. If, however, you live in Kansas and your child really loves water polo and he's the best on the team by a long shot, that's great, but is there a thriving and competitive club water polo scene in Kansas? I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't bet so. That could be a deal breaker. Now, this, of course, varies by sport and location and gender and other factors, but it's not a great sign if your child's sport of choice does not have a strong presence where you live. How about how competitive the sport is that your child plays? Basketball and soccer are wildly popular, accessible, and relatively affordable, and thus they're extremely competitive, just by the law of big numbers. For example, about one million high schoolers play basketball every year. With so many children playing at such a young age, you should be very aware that these are sports that can be difficult to break into at the college level. Now, lest you think that it would be easier if your child played a less popular sport, like squash, or fencing, or rowing, or golf, or water polo, or field hockey, or lacrosse, not so fast. Yes, in terms of numbers of participants, these sports don't have nearly as many players as the more mainstream sports. Lacrosse, for example, has about 200,000 participants versus basketball's 1 million. However, 
the players that play sports, like lacrosse or rowing, are often well-funded, well-supported, and highly motivated. So even if the numbers are smaller, the kids who go all-in on these sports are formidable competitors. And when you combine that with fewer opportunities to play in college, I'm not sure it gets any easier to get into college as an athlete in a more niche sport. I know on the surface, it sounds very tempting because fewer kids play these sports. But when you look at the kids who are playing the sports, they're not exactly slouches. The bottom line here is that there are no free lunches. Trying to cherry pick a sport that may be less competitive so that your child has a better chance to be really good may not be a foolproof plan. Competing in the big popular sports is tough, but it's no picnic to rise to the top of the niche sports either. So you're going to have to pick your poison. What about crowding out activities? You should think long and hard about the activities that your child will not be able to participate in because of their sports commitment. They will likely not be the class president or the valedictorian or the editor of the school newspaper or the lead in the school play. They probably won't get that internship or that summer job or a leadership position in a club at school. They will probably not be able to max out their AP classes or do every extra credit assignment or have time for an SAT prep class. They might miss prom and other social outings with friends. Most athletes who are going all in won't have time for many of these typical high school activities and achievements and milestones. Will you have enough money to keep up the pace? Depending on the sport, we're talking serious money. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars a year. Just to be on the team for dues, uniforms, travel bags, t-shirts, tournament fees. And that's not even including personal trainers, workout equipment, video equipment, video editors, one-on-one SAT tutors, special nutritional needs. Will you run out of money? And what about your time? Are you and are your spouse, and maybe even younger kids of yours if you have them, willing to give up nearly every one of your weekends and many, many holidays at games, tournaments, practices, scrimmages, tryouts, showcases, invitationals, summer camps, campus visits. What about family vacations? Don't count on them. What about summer vacations? Maybe a week or so if you're lucky. What about all of the travel, the airplanes, hotel rooms, Airbnbs, Uber rides, rental cars and the like? Do some research. How much travel is required for the sport? Where do the best teams go? Is there enough competition locally? Or do you have to drive or fly to other states or internationally to play against the better teams? These are the types of things that, if you don't think about them ahead of time, might bury you without you even realizing it's happening. Before you turn around, you're going to be 75 grand deep and two and a half years into the eye of the storm. That's why I want you to go into this with eyes wide open. What about relationships? How will this all-in commitment impact your career, professional opportunities, promotions, relationships with friends, 
neighbors, your spouse, your aging parents, your other children. Many of these relationships will take a backseat to your child's sport. And if you're not careful, some relationships will be replaced by the sport. And don't be surprised if your only friends left are the parents of the other players on the team. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but just keep it in mind. And at what point will enough be enough? Once you go down this road, will it ever be too much? Will you ever give up? Will anything ever stop the train? What might be a trigger for you to stop the madness, if you will? Do you and your child understand and appreciate some of these risks and rewards? Do you and your child understand how much work it will take to market yourself and position yourself to make good on this goal? Because remember, unless you're a top player in the country, like top 10, you will be doing most of the reaching out to coaches. They are not going to be reaching out to you. I know there's a romantic idea out there of coaches calling and texting you every other day. And that happens every once in a while for generational talent. But most of the time, you are tracking down coaches. You're doing the research. You're vying for their attention. It's not easy. It's doable. And it's worth it, in my opinion, if you have a plan. But you need to have a plan. Do you and your child understand the many pitfalls that must be avoided. Your child may never be good enough. They may burn out. They may get injured. They may lose interest. They may discover girls or boys. They may not want to do the work it requires to market themselves. There may be another pandemic that lasts a year or two. Who knows? Now, I know it seems like I'm focusing a lot on the downsides of going all in on a sport, There are certainly upsides, and lots of them, especially these days when it's nearly impossible to get into selective colleges without sports. So far, I've been beating the odds with my own sons. My two older sons, as I mentioned earlier, they decided in eighth grade that they did not want to specialize in any one sport. Instead, they wanted to play multiple sports with different teammates and coaches and cultures. So they played for varsity sports. They were in swimming and water polo, basketball and lacrosse. And while they weren't, quote-unquote, recruited athletes going into college, this relatively high level of athletic achievement probably was a differentiator for them in the admissions process. You know, I don't know for sure, but very few high school athletes can play more than one varsity sport, let alone four varsity sports, especially at a large public high school. You know, one of them is now rowing at Yale, and the other one is playing club water polo and a host of other intramural sports, and they're having a blast. My two younger sons, on the other hand, have gone in the other direction. They've locked into water polo as their exclusive sport. And so far, they're progressing well, and the bet seems to be working out, but only time will tell. My more general point here is that these decisions were intentional. We talked extensively about the pros and the cons of each path. We made lists. We got really honest with one another. We didn't just let it happen. We had a plan. Now, that plan doesn't always work out. But again, I'd rather have a plan and fail than have no plan and just hope for the best. And by the way, the story has not yet been written on my two younger sons. They're tracking well. 
but there's still a long way to go and still plenty of pitfalls for them to avoid. And it's nerve-wracking, even for me. And I'm a subject matter expert who was a college athlete, and my wife was a college athlete. So if it's rough for me, I shudder to think of the parents out there who are trying to navigate this terrain, who haven't personally lived through it as a recruited high school athlete themselves, and who haven't studied and worked in this field for years with their own kids and hundreds of families. It's very intimidating. And of course, that's the reason I started Preppel Academy and why there's an athlete's plan and why there's both an online option for students and one-on-one counseling options with me. Because I want to help you think through some of these issues and help pave the way for a productive and healthy pathway for you and your child and your family. It is possible, but it takes work and self-awareness and humility and oftentimes some outside coaching. So please, if any of this stuff is freaking you out, connect with me and we'll set up a consulting meeting where we can dig into the details of your particular situation. I hope this episode succeeded in bringing up some issues that are important to know about before taking that big leap. And if you're in the middle of the storm right now, I hope some of these issues resonated with you and gave you pause to reaffirm what you're doing or maybe to reevaluate next steps. Maybe you need to make a course correction. Knowledge is power. And I hope you feel a little bit more powerful now than you did when you started the episode. This is certainly not an easy decision. This is certainly not an easy transition from middle school to high school. And I wish all of you good luck out there. That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the continued support. If you know a parent with an 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, or 11th grader in high school that might find this helpful, please share the episode with them. You can do that by finding that small box with a tiny arrow that points up. That's the share button. Click that button, text it to your friends, and put a little note in there asking them to give it a listen. Of course, if you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me by email, DM me on Instagram, check out our blog, Facebook page, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. And until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. Preppel Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads-up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to PrepWellAcademy.com and enroll your child today.